0: Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Deputy Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. So we are approaching the 20th anniversary of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And with that in mind, Adam and I decided we should rewatch the prequels and record podcasts about them. And that's what we did. So... Today we will be talking about The Phantom Menace, and then next week we'll be talking about Attack of the Clones, and the week after that we'll be talking about Revenge of the Sith. And, folks, let me tell you about the prequels. <laughs> they have not aged well. Um, but I don't want to just simply rehash and be like, hey, this thing is bad. But I, 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 what we wanted to talk about was sort of contextualizing like when these movies came out, what they represented, And then sort of try to pinpoint why they went astray and kind of what they tell us about fandom and Star Wars and sort of where they sit. Because now that the Star Wars sequels are out, there are these very weird, but not in a good way, but weird little outliers that are kind of there. Like they just exist, but we don't talk about them that much. Like we just all kind of chose to move on in a way that is really surprising. Like, like we all just, just don't talk about, it. like it was a bad time and we just don't talk about it.
1: Well, but, with an asterisk there, I mean, among star Wars fandom, they're talked about agnosium. Um oh, Of
0: course. Yeah. If you're a star Wars fan, you always have that. But I think in the popular culture, yeah, like among mainstream fans, among the people that are like, they're not like, they're not going to celebration, but they're going to be their opening weekend for a new star Wars film. This is like the prequels are these weird outliers.
1: Yeah they're they're like extra credit basically kind of but they like, were do you essential, really need to see them.
0: but they were essential in their time they were and,
1: uh so we're going to talk
0: about let's talk about phantom menace um which i think is is in a way a bigger film than uh the force awakens because this the time gap um you know, the last star Wars film proper film was return of the Jedi, which came in in 1983. And like the prequels were kind of rumored and talked about and like, Ooh, what if, what if he ever does them? What if he ever does, you know, what if he makes them one day? And then around 1997, it starts coming. Like George Lucas starts moving back into star Wars. They released the special editions, which are, c- carry their own controversies with them. <laughs> and it's like the prequels are coming. So,
1: which were report like apparently he had always planned to do the well I guess around the time of Return of the Jedi, um he had said you know he was going to do a sequel trilogy that would follow whatever and then when Return of the Jedi came out he was like I'm tired I'm going home blah 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 but there were there is a reason that A New Hope was retitled Episode Four he had said that there would be a prequel tr- trilogy of some sort um. And that's what this was. So the it wasn't like uh, he was like, oh, I have an idea for new Star Wars movies. It was like, oh, this is this long story thing that's finally happening.
0: Yeah, there was, it was sort of always hanging over Star Wars fans. Like there are prequels and sequels that might arrive one day. That's that's the the temptation, and the hype around it was just incredible. Like it was it was this major thing. It was this kind of major homecoming of sort of Star Wars fans because there was this time when like Star Wars was kind of in the wilderness like today if you're like I'm a Star Wars fan everyone's like yeah so am I everyone loves Star Wars it's fine but there was a time when it was a niche kind of fandom interest kind of like like there's a reason you could debate Star Wars with Star Trek because they were both about the same intense level of fandom you know it was sort of like oh it's this thing that nerds like because again keep in mind This notion that, like, geeks inherit the Earth, like, that is a recent trend. That's basically a 21st century trend. In the 90s, I was not like, yes, I mean, I like Star Wars, but, like, it wasn't, like, it's not like everyone loves Star Wars. It wasn't a universal thing. It was a known thing,
1: and it was, like, a classic,
0: but it wasn't, like, a cool thing.
1: Um, and then, well and, and in the, in the popular culture, it was more akin to saying like, oh, I like the back to the future movies. There were only three, um, some were better than others. And like, that was that, like, it, it wasn't like, I don't know when the expanded universe started, but it, I mean, the that expanded universe has
0: been doing. around for a while, like the books and, and like that all the extended universe, but that was all marketing tie in. Like it was there for the fan
1: yeah what I'm saying is that like in like for me, I was born in '87 mm-hmm. so in the mid to late nineties, I'm like kind of you know getting into movies and stuff like that, but it was not known to me that like Star Wars was this intense like overarching mythology to me, it was just like, oh, it's those star wars movies like right
0: they stood as movies, and yeah. like they're movies it that went, you like, and you love it. there wasn't like the fandom of it was more insular. I'll I'll put yeah. it that way,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And and, uh, obviously, neither you nor I grew up in the context of the release of Star Wars, because I assume because, you know, with the holiday special and everything like that, it seems like it was a little more effervescent then.
0: Yeah. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, Star Wars was like it was it was it was the juggernaut. But then in the 80s, again, with nothing to keep it alive, it kind of tapered off. Yeah. Like the best way I can kind of compare the best thing I can kind of compare it to is Avatar. Like Avatar (laughs) came out. And then everyone was like, oh, I'm really into Avatar. And then nothing happens. And then no one talks about Avatar anymore. Like, they're still presumably Avatar fans. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to find out in 2021. (laughs) Um, But the idea is, is like with nothing to sort of keep the fires burning, you have sort of this devoted, you know, group that still loves it no matter what. And it's part of their DNA. But it's not the cultural phenomenon that we know it as today.
1: No. No,
0: And then it becomes, but then when Phantom Menace starts arriving, then it starts like, like it becomes like a trailer that people would go, like they attached it to meet Joe Black and people are like, I'm just going to buy a ticket to meet Joe Black, watch the trailer and then leave. That's my point. Well,
1: well, and as you said, the special editions really renewed interest. I mean, I was right around the, I was at the right age that those special editions and the renewed marketing, it was essentially like marketing a whole new trilogy of movies to me. And I was on a kick at that time. When I was a kid, I would like go to the blockbuster and I would rent like series. So I would rent all the Jaws movies. So I've seen all the Jaws movies, and I would rent all the Godfather movies and all the Back to the Future movies, and I rented all of the Star Wars movies. And I think they were the special editions. But there was so much. Uh, like renewed uh, marketing and sense of like, Oh, this thing that you liked is new again. Um, that it was almost like, you know, the, the Phantom Menace was, was kind of like on the heels of all this marketing for the special editions.
0: Right. Yeah. No, they, they consciously rebuilt interest rather than just dropping it.
1: Yeah. Um, As but, opposed to Avatar where they're just like, here's a new movie, I guess. <laughs> Here's a sequel. And people are like, you shouldn't underestimate
0: James Cameron. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs>
1: I mean, look. We'll see. He, well, I guess I guess to be fair, they made Pandora World. So that could be considered marketing for the I sequels.
0: guess so. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. It's like the biggest movie ever. And it has no TV shows, no books, no comics, no nothing. And it's just like, Avatar, we're making four <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah just this one movie. It's so weird. And it's not, I don't know. I don't like Avatar. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so so Phantom Menace comes out May 20th, 1999. And it's it's a fascinating moment because you have like full grown adults. Like people who saw the original Star Wars when they were kids are now adults. And they've spent decades convincing themselves like this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. And I remember like hearing stories of people like they they convinced themselves that it was good. I also convinced myself that it was good, but I was 14 at the time, so I don't
1: I don't really take responsibility <laughs> for that.
0: I was a child. And you
1: also liked Boondock Saints.
0: No, don't put that shit on me. <laughs> I've never liked Boondock Saints. <laughs> How dare you? Um, but no, like but it's it's a film where the the desire to like it really like it's 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 a great lesson for fandom because i think sometimes fandom they assume that it means you must like the thing at all costs and then you you don't become really a fan you become an apologist so any flaw it's your job now to write away the flaws so for instance a common defense that came up during phantom menace was uh you know, oh, the the Star Wars movies have always had goofy characters. Like how can you dislike Jar, Jar Binks? The writing has always been this way. And I'm like, No, it fucking hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just it's it. you came up with these like these really weird kind of defenses for Star Wars to be like, this isn't bad, it's always been this way. Or, you know, if you look at the mythic structure, it's just it's a very weird thing to watch people defend Phantom Menace when it is so clearly a bad movie <laughs> it's it's bad but and and i i'll say this. so I, I i re-watched all of them not this past weekend but the weekend before with my wife and, and god bless her for sitting through them um but what's fascinating is that i went into them sort of saying like i bet it's not as bad as i remember like that was my i literally thought i went in being like oh you know what i if you watch it in 99 like it has all this weight of expectations and then like for the past 20 years it's sort of been this cultural punching bag and you know I bet if we just if we divorce it from all of that and just watch it on its own terms I bet it's kind of an interesting movie. Like maybe not great but interesting and weird and unique and I'm like no it's oh god it's garbage. <laughs> it's really <laughs> boring. You you watched it recently is what do you think? I did. It's it's
1: so it's so boring. Uh, I mean it and I, I was kind of amazed by it. It it opens and I've seen it I've probably seen Phantom Menace a total of like six or seven times in my lifetime. Um and I revisited all the prequels uh like three or four years ago um when I first did the the Star Wars ranking on the website, um which uh I may or may not update after I finish this new rewatch of the prequels. But it's so striking the way it opens. Like it just immediately deflates any enthusiasm you had. <laughs> For the movie by opening with this this conversation between obi-wan and qui-gon and like they're like there's trade like trade federation and like they're they're trying to to negotiate a treaty and then there's like robots that are the bad guys which just kind of deflates any sense of stakes or violence because it's like well yeah they could lightsaber the robots because who cares about robots um Contrast that with A New Hope, which opens with uh, a princess on the run, and this menacing figure, Darth Vader, s- storms onto a ship, and she's trying to hide these – it's very clear at the beginning of New Hope, like, okay, here's the objective. She has this thing that's important that she hides on a robot and sends the robot away, and this big guy in the black hood is really scary, and he's a bad guy. Whereas A New Hope opens, and like they're discussing – Trade routes. Trade routes? And then, like, I guess it gets a little sinister with the smoke and gas and stuff. But the other thing that was so striking to me um, in that opening scene and then it just continues throughout the entire movie is that the performances are terrible. They're all terrible. They're so wooden. It it really is kind
0: of – and from actors that you know are good. Like it's one thing to be like, oh, I guess Hayden Christensen didn't have it. It's another to be like, I know Liam Neeson is a good actor. I've seen him in Schindler's List. I yeah. know he's a good actor. What is happening here? Or Ewan McGregor. It's like, I saw you in Spotting. You were fantastic in Train Spotting. What is happening?
1: They're just sleepy and there's no sense of like danger or fun or charisma. They're just kind of, uh, I don't know. Well, they, they're I mean, taking they're, it also seriously. Well, they're taking it seriously, but also
0: there's no easy way to describe their character. Like, there's no, if you're going to be like, I want to make a movie in the mythic mold of Star Wars, which is Joseph Campbell, hero with a thousand faces, whatever. If I'm going to tell that kind of story, that broad populist myth making, if I'm going to make that kind of movie, then I need to be able to quickly convey who these characters are. Like, you need to know, like, if I say, you know, who is Luke Skywalker? And you could be like, oh, he's like a dreamer, and he's like, you know, he's kind of whiny, but he's aspirational. Like, if I tell you, like, if I give you a name, you could be like, I I can give you character traits. And if I give you Qui-Gon, you're like, he's stoic, and then you don't know what else to say. (laughs) Like, it's like, (laughs) I guess he's stoic, and like, I don't know who Obi-Wan is in this movie. Like, I don't know, like, that's the thing, it's populated with characters who don't have personalities. So what could the actors do with it?
1: And it's like I guess I assume that Qui Gon knows more than Obi Wan, but there's like there's not a ton of deference. Like they play them all, they play the Jedi almost as monks. Um, yes, it's, and it's it's just kind of it's and that's not interesting. That's boring, right? I yeah. The idea behind
0: the Jedi in the prequels is that they are sort of this monastic order, but they constantly tell you what they can't do, which really <laughs> makes them suck. Like. <laughs> You, it's again, it's sort of like George Lucas, like, didn't understand what people liked about it. It's like, so when I tell you what is a Jedi in a, in a new hope, a Jedi is like this lost order of warriors that never, you know, that had these cool lightsabers and they were amazing fighters, but they could use magic and they were wise and, you know, but then when it came time to be like, okay, well, who were the Jedi when they weren't, you know, when they were actually around, And it seems to be people that tell you what they can't do. It's like, Qui-Gon's like, I can't fight a war for you. It's like, I'm not here to end slavery. Like, what is it that you do? What is your (laughs) purpose here? Like, I do trade negotiations. Like, are you a fucking accountant? Like, what is your job? What is the job of the Jedi? It's like, we're peacekeepers. And I'm like, but are you? Are you peacekeepers? What does that mean?
1: Yeah. Well, that's my other major issue with Phantom Menace, is that it's confusing. Like, I... So I start zoning out in that trade negotiation big opening <laughs> sequence. And then I'm like, oh, okay, shit. Like, what so what? What exact, like what planet were they trading for? Who are the bad guys? And then I rewind and I watch it. And it's like, okay, I guess. So, like, the, the frog looking dudes are the bad guys, I guess. I can explain okay. what
0: happened, but it makes me sound insane.
1: <laughs> but then you're like, okay, why are they on Naboo? What are they doing here again? They're going. Okay. They, okay, they're going in wire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to meet this gungan guy. Um, what? What do they need? What are they doing here? But I don't know. Does that make me sound dumb? But it, it's just so. No. It's
0: it's it's the plotting is very lethargic and also convoluted because you basically you have this movie that is anyone could tell you it's weird like George no one told George Lucas that's a bad idea. There's an entire documentary <laughs> on the DVD that calls. It's called the beginning, and no one tells George Lucas that, that that
1: this is a bad idea. And it culminates in a one of his test screenings, and it ends, and George Lucas goes, "I may have gone too far in a few places." It's kind of amazing. Um, it's it's just like the, and then you see like Rick McCallum in the background, looks like he's about to blow his brains out because <laughs> yes. they just they just watch a cut of the movie together, and they're just like, "Oh no, yeah."
0: Because here's the, here's, here's what I think is one of the central problems with Phantom Menace is that on the one hand, it's a kid's movie. It's a, it's a movie. There's a, there's a Gungan named Jar Jar Binks and he talks funny and he steps in poop. And you know, he has a long time. He, he literally steps in poop. I'm not making that up. Um, and then there's like a young Anakin Skywalker who's an innocent child. And he's like, I'm going to be a pod racer and I save the galaxy and There are lightsabers, like it's a fun movie for children. Also a movie about trade negotiations, (laughs) which even adults do not find interesting.
1: Oh. And I would I would respect it and like it a lot more if it just really just leaned into the like, all right, it's about this kid who wants to be great and he meets these like tell it entirely through the point of view of Anakin Skywalker. So open, you know, on Anakin on the planet. We don't need to know about the trade negotiations and the Jedi and stuff like that, and just see it through his eyes. Like he's wanted to escape this planet his whole life, these two Jedi show up. Um, You know, he gets wrapped up into this big war. He meets Padme. Like that's to me a little more basically make
0: it like a dark inverse of Luke's story,
1: which is that Luke's
0: story. Luke also is on Tatooine. He dreams of getting off. He getting off Tatooine. He wants to be a hero. He has some skills. He falls in with people on on an adventure and realizes his greatness. But for Anakin, that's a darker story because it leads him on a path towards being evil. Yeah, which again is hard to tell like he should not have been like nine years old he should have been at least like a teenager like it should have been it's really like again I get what Lucas is going for it's like it's the loss of innocence this pure sweet innocent child first off Anakin comes off like a brat (laughs) (laughs) in Phantom Menace so it's not like he was like the lovable scamp I don't care how many times he says yippee it's real so wizard Anakin oof oof. (laughs) anyway so yeah, you, I, I can, like, like you were saying, it's really hard to, like, for this film to even get off the ground. And this is, you didn't even mention, like, oh, man, this is really racist from the start. <laughs> like, the Viceroy aliens, the ones who were, like, the bad guys, like, are talking in these weird Asian accents. And then you get to Jar Jar Binks, who's like, so, like oh, my God. Like, did anyone say, hey, George, uh, I know it's 1999 but maybe this is culturally insensitive. <laughs> and he immediately says I'm
1: your slave now. I am going to be your slave now.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Um it's it's
0: really rough.
1: It's it, it
0: doesn't improve. <laughs> it doesn't really get better.
1: Well, and that's the thing. I watched it when I was a kid and I you know, I kind of enjoyed the pod race stuff. And, uh, some of the other things, and I liked the larger world of star Wars. It was, it was kind of fun to see this, but, you know, going back to the buildup, like I still remember very strikingly seeing that teaser poster in the movie theater, uh, of the young Anakin, but his shy, his shadow is Darth Vader. Uh, and just being so excited to yeah, see the great
0: marketing. Part. By 20th Century yeah. Fox, the real heroes of the, of the prequel trilogy.
1: Yes. I'm so excited to see, uh, you know, the origin story of Darth Vader, but uh, it's just too, it's just too much. It's too convoluted. It's too many things that he's trying to do. Um, and I mean, it, it, it looks pretty. I mean, the, the set. Does it, the, does it look pretty? I I, 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 the production design, I think is pretty.
0: I push back. I don't think it does. I don't think the production design looks pretty. I think it looks very empty. It does not look like a world that has been lived in by anybody. It looks like everyone just showed up in Naboo. Like Naboo was unpopulated and then about 20 people moved in and that's all the people of Naboo.
1: Well, I think that's kind of the point though, right? Because it's, it's supposed to be a, a time of uh, somewhat prosperity and, you know. Yeah, earlier. but you can show prosperity and have background actors. <laughs> sure. You can You can afford a few background actors, George. The city is pretty empty in the, in the final battle. That's,
0: that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a, it's a, like, well, it's, it's, it's empty when, okay. So after they leave the Gungan city of Atlantis, um, they, they come out, you know, after being almost eaten by a fish because sure, why not? And they come up and then they like, and Queen Amidala and her people are being led by, you know, robots to have them captured. And then Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan drop out of nowhere and they like cut up the robots and they're like, we got to get you to safety. There's no one around. no one (laughs) no one lives in Naboo no one lives there so (laughs) to say it's great production design there's a great idea like the idea of like oh look at look at Naboo it's clean and modern like I get that but it still doesn't that you can have that and still have a thing like oh people also live here whereas like Coruscant like it's of an entire planet is a city like that's a neat idea but does it come alive and I think George Lucas's solution in the next two movies was like, oh, I'll just fill the, sc- the
1: screen with more crap, and that'll substitute for life. It is worth noting, and we'll get to this more when we talk about the other two films, that George Lucas did not write the scripts for episodes one, two, and three at the same time. He wrote episode one, and he released the film, and then Attack of the Clones is a reaction to the response to episode one.
0: Yeah. There's a reason um, there's a lot less Jar Jar in the, in the next two movies.
1: Yeah. Which I think is interesting because nowadays, you know, it's like, Oh, you have to have it all planned out from the beginning and, you know, shoot it all at once and blah, blah, blah. Like I, I think it's, I think it, it makes the trilogy more interesting that, that George was doing them one at a time and was kind of assessing the landscape and stuff. And I suppose it should be noted that George Lucas tried to pawn episode one off on other directors. He offered to Ron Howard and Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg to direct they're like, no, you should do it. Um, which is the other ed- aspect that was so exciting about Phantom Menace is that George Lucas was directing again. He hadn't directed since, uh, was it a new hope?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He didn't direct, um, he didn't direct Empire or, uh, Return of the Jedi.
1: Yeah, I mean, he kind of directed Return of the Jedi. um, He is not the credited director, we'll put it that way. He is not the credited director, but it it had been so long since he had uh, actually directed anything. Yeah, his last directing credit was A New Hope. Um, So, you know, he was back and uh, directing a movie. Uh, He obviously produced the Indiana Jones movies and um, produced movies like Labyrinth and Howard the Duck. But uh, then I think we saw why why he probably shouldn't be directing um, too often. Yeah. I,
0: there's just, his directorial choices are very, you eventually, you see, when you see George Lucas on his own, uh, especially with decades of like star Wars mystique behind him, Mm -hmm. you definitely see this is a different George Lucas than the one who in the seventies was making a new hope where he had a lot of help and it was kind of lightning in a bottle like that. Like he did not just do uh, a new hope on his own. A new hope on left to his own devices is Luke Starkiller and the Kyber Crystals. That's that movie.
1: Yeah. And that script was heavily rewritten by other writers. So. Exactly.
0: And look, that's not a slam against George Lucas. It's n- like film is collaborative. It's good to have collaborators. Uh, I think the prequels show what happens when your are collaborators. I'll tell you you're a genius and don't tell you. <laughs> hey, the Gungan character sounds racist. Um, You know, or that this is not, this plotting is ridiculous, or Qui-Gon's plan makes no sense, or, like, you don't really have an antagonist. This film, it has so... Excuse
1: me, are you besmirching the great name of Darth Maul?
0: Is he the antagonist? (laughs) I guess he seems more like a walking set piece. Like he shows up, <laughs> he fights with his cool double sided lightsaber, and then he leaves or dies or not. <laughs> Apparently, according now it's canon that he fucking lived, but he with a robot legs. with his robot
1: legs. Robot legs. How does he pee? <laughs> <laughs> he got cut in half. Um. But even the the Darth Maul stuff, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I was bored by other stuff, but I was like, ooh, this is cool. This is fun. But when you watch it now, uh, as kind of a more sophisticated viewer, it doesn't carry as much weight because you're just like, ah, and he's just – I don't know who Darth Maul is. Well, that's the thing. That may as well be fighting a wall. Right. And that's why I think, like, it's – um,
0: it makes for a great trailer because if you take the lightsaber battle and just put it, like, without context – Oh, there's going to be this amazing, really intricately choreographed lightsaber battle. Where It's a two-on-one fight. We've never seen that. And he has a double-sided lightsaber, and we've never seen that. And, oh, my goodness, they're fighting in this huge room that does a thing. I don't know what that room is, by the way, what it is. They never explain. Is it the power source of of (laughs) Naboo? Like, it's just a weird room that they
1: fight in. I don't know. Anyway. Meanwhile, Anakin's like, what am I doing? I'm pushing all of these buttons. yeah we'll oh, get to no, that i guess i killed a droid
0: we'll get to that but <laughs> no but so, <laughs> so is kid. it so you see it if you see that scene out of context you have like and also you know to say something nice about the prequels john williams remains undefeated i'll put it that way
1: oh he saves this movie it's also really interesting to note that like the score is so heavy there is so much score in this movie Almost every scene has score in it, and like it does so much heavy lifting because the performances are so bad. Yeah, it's like, oh, I should feel emotion here. Yeah, it's, I mean, Duel of the Fates is a great track,
0: it is not supported by the storytelling at all because like we don't know who Darth Maul is, we don't know what he wants, like, what is his. I have I had, like Darth Maul shows up and he wants to kill the Jedi. But what is his job? Like, what is his object? Is he there to kill Queen Amidala? I guess. But like, doesn't wasn't the point that they need to get her to sign the treaty? Like, what is the purpose of Darth Maul? What does he want? What is his go- what are his goals? He looks cool, but he doesn't rep- he doesn't mean anything, and that's a big problem. And I think that's what you see like from the trailer. It looks cool, but it doesn't mean anything.
1: Well, you see, he's a Sith apprentice, man. Okay. <laughs> he's training to be bad. He's tra- <laughs> That's the point. Sure. Of being a Sith apprentice. Here's the
0: thing. Here's the other thing. And I think the the to their credit, the Star Wars sequels perfectly figured this out. Have an have your antag Don't kill off your antagonist in the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, imagine like if they just kill Kylo Ren at the end of Force Awakens, they'd be like, "Whoops!" Like, yeah, that's maybe not the best idea. Uh, yeah, and that... everyone
1: saying, "But they killed what's his name, Snoke, Snoke in Last Jedi."
0: Yeah, but that was good. That was good that they killed him. It's good that he's dead.
1: He was just another Darth Maul and like damn, ugly. He was good.
0: He was, yeah, he's another Emperor. Whippity doo. Yeah, he doesn't bring anything new to the table.
1: Um, but, but... he could have, which is, uh, I think uh, 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 a. <laughs> I think that that's part of the reason why... Uh, the prequels have gained so much fandom because there is a I mean I think there is value in this movie and, and in these prequels and there's value in watching them and enjoying them and picking them apart and I think a lot of that value comes from people who are really enmeshed in Star Wars fandom so every mention of every Sith Lord or every whatever is something they're familiar with and they know from the EU or from other things and so they get to kind of live in this world for a little bit longer and learn a little bit more about it uh, even midichlorians. Um and cool. as a self-professed Harry Potter superfan I will admit that I probably liked Crimes of Grindelwald Grindelwald more than it deserved just because I liked being in the world of Harry Potter.
0: That's fair. But I will counter and not counter but I will also as a note for our listeners neither you nor I have watched the Clone Wars TV series which apparently people really dig. And like those like if if you bring Clone Wars to the table maybe it improves everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But the thing is is that at the end of the day there are core movies And the movies should be able to stand on their own. They shouldn't be like, well, once you watch all five seasons of this television show, you'll really gain a new appreciation. Like, if I have to spend days watching a new, another TV show to make the movies good, doesn't that mean the movies are bad?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like Game of Thrones. Like, oh, you you don't really get Sir Barristan because you didn't read the books. And it's like, okay, but I watched the show, and this is all I know about. Yeah, they Barristan, don't
0: send so. me a free book when I watch the show. They don't be <laughs> like, oh, you got, I see you've watched, started watching Game of Thrones. Look in the mail for your free copy of of A Storm of Swords.
1: Like, I understand that knowledge does uh, some really good heavy lifting for you and, you know, uh, all the better for you if that increases your enjoyment of it. But you also have to judge things based on, like, what is the information given to me? Just plain, bold-faced, like, on the surface in this movie. And the information I'm getting is Darth Maul doesn't speak and he cuts people up.
0: But does he – he doesn't – I don't think he cuts – well, I guess, he yeah, he stabs Qui-Gon. So he, yeah. he got a little cut up. Which this is, is my... by the way, a super anticlimactic moment. Like, Qui-Gon gets punched in the face and then he gets stabbed and then he dies and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, train Anakin. Uh, train Anakin. He is the chosen one. He will bring balance to the force. By the way,
1: what does it mean that the force is out of balance? Not really explained. <laughs> Yeah, I thought all the the Sith were dead and, like, all the good guys were winning. I mean, everything that, like,
0: all the stakes are just very vague. Like, you know, the dark side clouds the Force. Our powers are weakening. And so we need to bring balance to the Force. Like, okay, but if that's your solution, like, we need to bring balance to the Force, wouldn't you, like, make sure to invest heavily in Anakin? Like, again, nothing really tracks across these three movies. And nothing really tracks
1: within these three movies. Um, Uh, Some do. I think we have... We have a lot more to discuss on the. You think, about the other two movies?
0: All right, you think something's trash. I
1: have I have some very strong uh, arguments on, in favor of Revenge of the Sith. So
0: really, wow, yeah, that, that will be a fun one because I fucking hated that. On it, <laughs> <laughs> I like and, like my wife and I. We were able to get through Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones by making fun of them, <laughs> like to keep our interest. But after, by the time we hit Revenge of the Sith, we were like, oh, this is a slog. <laughs> this is this is weak, uh, but we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Um, for now, Phantom Menace. Um, it's just it's this fascinating relic now. Like it's so the movie comes out, people make apologies for it, and eventually a lot of people realize that was bad, and then they're like, oh, maybe the next one will be better because there won't be a young Anakin. And by the way, I also want to take a side note to be like Star Wars fans were super shitty to Jake Lloyd and Ahmed Best. Yeah. Um yeah, young Anakin and Jar Jar Binks are bad characters. Uh Jake Lloyd and Ahmed Best did not write those characters. They are <laughs> actors and they were hired to play characters that George Lucas wrote and no one could have saved them. Yeah. No, it's not like, oh, if only for a better actor this role would like you have Liam fucking Neeson in this movie and he sucks. So what the fuck do you expect someone else to do with Anakin Skywalker?
1: Well, I still remember reading interviews at the time of release, and the actors were kind of dismayed and and kind of taking digs at George Lucas and that, like you know, because um, they shot, uh, you know, they shot, did they shoot? So they shot, uh, I think, Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith in Australia, right? Maybe, um, Maybe somewhere, but if they. You say so. <laughs> They were essentially talking about, you know, you're in this giant room with blue screen all around you and George doesn't really care about directing or whatever. Yeah, no, he's given nothing. Yeah, his
0: direction is faster, more intense, which doesn't mean anything.
1: I can't. it, It was multiple actors who were just kind of like, yeah, it was not a very pleasant experience and I didn't really get much and I didn't really know what I was doing. Also, you have to remember at this time, like entirely blue screen environments were very rare. Um like Independence Day was a pinnacle of like visual effects wizardry, uh, and, and as was Titanic. Yeah,
0: George but those Williams movies was doing something very new.
1: Yeah, he was experimenting, which he always does. Um, I will say the cinematography in this just at the very least the film grain I I appreciated um, as this was the last Star Wars movie shot on film. Well, no, this was the last Star Wars movie shot on film until Force Awakens, uh, and Force Awakens and Last Jedi were shot on film. Um, but. Uh, you know it, it it at least looks like a movie but when you get to attack of the clones it's like oh i
0: wish we could make the poster eh, it looks like a movie <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a movie i mean true yeah it looks a little more lived in than the next two it looks yeah. like it i mean and not to romanticize film at the expense of digital they each have their benefits so we don't need to do that um but i definitely think it adds it helps phantom menace feel more like it exists in the same universe as the original star wars movies yeah yeah for sure Um, so yeah, I,
1: I mean, it was a huge hit. It was the highest grossing movie. It was a hit. And yet everyone saw it
0: It was, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people soured on it because, you know, George Lucas put all this effort into the technology. He's like, you know, you have these, I mean, the, one of the climactic scenes of the film is the Gungan army, which is all CG fighting the battle droid army, which is all CG. And the scene sucks. But no one had ever seen an all CGI <laughs> battle before. Yeah, no, that was brand new. It was I brand mean it, new. It was it was brand new. And at the end of the day, the Academy says, "Yeah, we're giving these Oscars to The Matrix." <laughs> yeah.
1: Which, to be fair, The Matrix is also groundbreaking. In
0: yeah, The way. Matrix is groundbreaking, but also good. <laughs> yeah. So that it had the benefit of being good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's just there's just a lot of really questionable choices, and yet. I'm not like, so let me ask you this and and then I'll respond. Do you think there should be star Wars prequels at all?
1: Uh, Like, should they exist? Like,
0: should there be prequels? Like knowing what we know about prequels and how prequels are tough because the story is, you really are leaning heavy on. It's not the destination. It's the journey. You know, like it's, Mm -hmm. you know where the story is going. Should there be prequels at all?
1: I think, yes, because the mythology of the original trilogy was so set up. I mean, it begins a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That already tells you, oh, this is kind of like a fairy tale. Like, this is a story that takes place in a world where a lot of things have happened. And there's so much talk in those first three films about the past and about Luke's father and about Obi-Wan and the Jedi. So I think there I I think there was reason to think there was fruitful territory to mine there.
0: Right. I agree. I also feel like the, I, I'm not anti prequels. Like I'm not anti, like there should never be Star Wars prequels <laughs> period. I just think the story George Lucas decided to tell was the wrong one and told in the wrong way. I don't think, if you push comes to stuff, I don't really think Phantom Menace should even exist. I don't think it tells a vital part of the, of the narrative. I don't really care about what Anakin Skywalker was like as a child.
1: No. It doesn't breathe. He's too young. And because he's too young, you have to make the protagonists the Jedi. And I think Jedi make shitty protagonists. A Jedi in training makes a fun protagonist, an interesting protagonist. But I don't really care what, you know, Obi Wan was like during the war. Granted, again, I haven't seen the Clone Wars, and I'm someone who has not read the EU, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who uh, have counter arguments towards me. Um, And they're probably right. But as someone who has only seen these movies, um, you know, I much prefer Luke Skywalker struggling to become a Jedi with the, you know, only the basic of training or Ray also struggling to become a Jedi with only the basic of training as opposed to watching. I mean, episode one is when we see Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan supposedly in their prime and they're just boring old farts who just walk around and talk about trade negotiations.
0: Yeah. The Jedi really suck in the prequels. I can't, We I cannot
1: stress that enough. They're just so boring they're not even like you know it, it it doesn't even seem like they i don't know you think about like knights or whatever and they have wants and desires and needs but the jedi are just so monastic like you said that they're just they just have this one-track mind and nothing really seems to bother them that much
0: yeah i, I and so well yeah those one-track mind and they don't even seem particularly concerned with justice like you know, they show up on a planet with slavery and they're like, yeah, slavery, that's rough. Anyway, we got to get going. Hashtag not my job. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, like the, the, the Jedi are bad. I just feel like there's a better way to tell the story. And yet I feel like, you know what? These these are George Lucas's films. You know what? Yeah. He owned the rights. He wasn't like he wasn't like a gun for hire. It was his studio, his story. He told it on his terms. I just wish he had told it better. (laughs) I just wish he had been like, you know what? I'd actually, we don't need to see Anakin Skywalker as a little kid. Let's start when he's a a teenager and his, or a young adult, you know, in his twenties. And, you know, he's a Padawan and, you know, I mean, follow through on your own mythology. You know, when, when, I mean, when in, in a new hope, Obi-Wan says your father was a great pilot. (laughs)
1: And I guess that's true from the
0: pod racing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where he falls ass backwards into winning. <laughs> Where he
0: kind of wins, I guess. And then he accidentally blows up the base. Yeah. You know, like, it's it's so weird. Like, just make him be an adult. Like, I don't need to, this notion that, like, oh, we can only show the loss of innocence if he's a child. That just doesn't, That, that that's not believable. You yeah. know, you can have him be a good man. And have him fall to the dark side. Yeah, you know that's. And I, but you know the Anakin that we always see, the Anakin that is presented across all three prequels is a petulant child, mm-hmm. and it really. Ooh, man! You thought Darth Vader was the was the baddest motherfucker in the galaxy? <laughs> I've got some bad news. <laughs> uh, yeah, it makes, it, it makes him not scary at all. Makes him not scary. And yet, I think there's a way to do petulance, which still has an emotional core. And we've seen that with, with Adam Driver's Kylo Ren. Yes. I think that, I think the best realization of Anakin Skywalker turned out to be Kylo Ren. Uh, because yeah. Adam, Adam Driver is a fantastic actor. And there's a very clear character there who comes from a very understandable place where even when he does evil things, you understand who he is and where he's coming from. And, and you're invested in, who he, in in his journey.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like you said, this was George Lucas's vision and I'm honestly not mad that these prequels exist. I'm, I'm, as I've said many yeah, times, George before, Lucas doesn't podcast. owe me shit. I don't,
0: <laughs> that's, I bought my ticket, you know, whatever. I, I bought the, I bought the Blu-rays. He's, you know, he's still getting money from me, you know, yeah. so it's fine, whatever. And as I've said many times before
1: on this podcast, I would much rather see an uninterrupted vision of an artist than see the kind of convoluted mishmash Frankenstein's monster that is, uh, you know, like Justice League or whatever. (laughs) Um, So, like, for better or worse, this is George Lucas's vision for the origin story of Anakin Skywalker. And I, I kind of I kind of like that that exists I res- even though it's not great
0: yeah i respect the idea of it more than i expect the respect the existence of it which i guess yeah. makes me more of an idealist than a pragmatist but so be it
1: well and i think these movies have gained in value as as the star wars franchise has expanded they are part of this expansive mythology and you know just another avenue to um watch and consider and think about and talk about uh for people who really like to do that so you know more power to you if that's your thing
0: yeah um, and one of these days, I think you know, once Disney Plus rolls around, and if they put the whole Clone Wars saga on there, I'll I'll happily
1: watch it. Uh, yeah, it was on the, Netflix for like six years, and it was always in my queue, and I was like, eh,
0: not my, today. My plan with Disney Plus is like, excuse me, presumably they'll have Clone Wars, they'll have Rebels, they'll have Resistance, and I'll just make it a thing. To watch those shows because I actually tried yeah. watching Star Wars Rebels live on Disney XD and I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't do this. I can't watch with commercials <laughs> for children <laughs> like like, hey, buy this new thing, you know get your parents to buy you this thing, kid I'm like, oh, this is
1: terrible it's this is terrible slime.
0: yeah, buy this super soaker is do they still have that is am I old? <laughs>
1: probably I assume so I like Drebels though I watched uh, like a season and a half of that or something yeah I thought it was a good show I just couldn't I just digging
0: through the commercials I was just like I don't really want to do this yeah (laughs) I'll I'll watch it later yeah so for sure Um, yeah any other thoughts on Phantom Menace before we we close out Uh, I mean it's it's certainly
1: earned its place in history Uh, I I would would
0: encourage as much as we ragged on it I would encourage our listeners to rewatch it just yeah. because I think it's also good to re, to I think it's always good to revisit your own deeply held opinions on movies. Like you can get it into your head. Like this is a great film or this is a bad film. Like, but you change as a person. So, you know, see how your optics has changed. I, I did. I went into Phantom Menace thing. Like maybe I'll feel differently about it
1: and I didn't, but that's just me. Yeah. And if you want to play along with us, watch uh, Attack tech, the clones before next week's podcast, and then watch revenge of the Sith before the podcast the following week. Yes. Uh, and just so you know, we will just be doubling up on podcasts in the weeks ahead.
0: Like this will not be our only, uh, podcast, uh, topic in the weeks ahead. We will be talking about Aladdin and what have you, but game of Thrones, game of Thrones, but, uh, we definitely wanted to revisit these prequels, especially since we had so much fun with our previous mini series on the, uh, Marvel
1: movies. Yes, for sure.
0: So yeah, uh, I guess with that, let's, let's move on to recently watched Adam. What have you seen lately?
1: Uh, so on Friday night. I watched Wine Country, which seems like a Netflix original film destined to be watched on a Friday night when you don't have much else to do. Um, My fiance and I decided to check it out. Uh, It is Amy Poehler's directorial debut. Um, It is loosely based on a trip that the actually stars in the movie took together. Uh, It's Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, Rachel Dratch, Paula Pell, um, Anna Gasteyer, Emily Spivey, And uh, they go to wine country to celebrate Rachel Dratch's 50th birthday or a character played by Rachel Dratch's 50th birthday. And they kind of confront, you know, their own midlife crises and their own friendship uh, issues as as well, um, while also, uh, you know, having a lot of fun and and having a lot of trouble. Um, It's a super pleasant movie. It's it's very funny. um, It's very enjoyable. It has a nice little heart to it. It's kind of sweet. Um it's not something that I would write home about like it's not a film that I'm like oh man like structurally this blew me away or you know oh this is uh you know just so incredible everyone has to watch it but it seems like the perfect uh kind of Netflix original programming cuz it also seems like a movie that would be really fun to rewatch uh Tina Fey also has a role in it as well she's really funny in there uh and I think Amy Puller does a a solid job directing it uh she directed episodes of Parks and Rec And actually, uh, used the Parks and Rec cinematographer for this movie, Um, and uh, the movie was written by Emily Spivey, um, who's in the movie, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty fun. And uh, you know, I I watched uh, Amy Puller on late night we said meyer's talking about it and they both talked about how like essentially these actresses are playing themselves um like just slightly exaggerated versions of themselves so if you ever wondered what it's like to hang out with maya rudolph and amy poehler and rachel Dratch, um this kind of gives you an idea um but yeah there's some really good moments in it and my major takeaway from it is that paula pell uh deserves to be just like a huge star um she is uh, kind of an iconic writer for saturday night live uh and has recently kind of broken out into an acting career she's on the NBC series ap bio um and had a really great role in one of the episodes of documentary now this past season uh but she's hilarious and just so charming and fun um but yeah this is a really easy watch if you're looking for something that's uh something that's going to make you feel good something that doesn't require you know a ton of attention and that's super complex or anything um it's a very easy recommendation
0: so so basically the ideal Netflix movie.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely the ideal Netflix movie, um, which is why uh, I think it's on there. Because, again, it's very rewatchable. So it's a movie kind of like set it up where I think people are just going to like put it on while they're doing whatever. Right. So
0: OK, I'll check that out. Because yep. the trailer left me a little underwhelmed, even though I like all those actresses.
1: Yeah, it's solid. It does. It's not near as tight or um, like comedically rambunctious as something like Step Brothers. Um, but uh, it, but it's enjoyable. Like it it has enough funny moments to consider it a successful comedy, and uh, it's got you know a pretty good uh, story spine that kind of uh, keeps you following through on the way through. Um, like I said, there's nothing to write home about. Like it's not. Uh, kind of mind-blowing or anything, but it's very pleasant and very fun.
0: Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, for me, I recently watched, uh, I'm trying to make u- as much use of Criterion Channel as I can uh, and try to at least watch one movie on it a week for my queue. And so... This past Sunday, I was like, I want to watch something a little short, but I don't really have a strong preference. So I'm just going to – what's a fun title? And a fun title is The Machine That Kills Bad People, which is a Roberto Rossellini movie uh, from 1952, although it was filmed in 1948 and sat on the shelf for a a while. Uh, Roberto Rossellini is known as sort of one of the fathers of Italian neorealism, probably best known for Rome, Open City. Um, but he, and he didn't really do comedies, but he dipped his toe in with the machine that kills bad people. And the plot is you have this sort of small, uh, Sicilian village and kind of everyone at the top is corrupt. The politicians are corrupt. There's a loan shark that has a lot of sway and, uh, the people are kind of suffering. And this photographer, uh, named Celestino, he is visited by who he thinks is the, uh, is St. Andrew. And St. Andrew says, I'm going to give you this power. If you take, if you take your camera and you take a photo of a photo of a person, that person will die. Um and so Celestino starts using like basically he's been given the power to kill people uh without any repercussions for it. And it's a very cool premise and the film is only 84 minutes, but it's a fun kind of, you know, fantasy about like what would you do if you could take out corrupt people that are ruin that you know if you were judge jury and executioner and face no ramification, if you you know no repercussions for your actions you know what would you do um and there's a nice little bit of nihilism and darkness to it and there's a great little subplot um that's very much about how do- how does italy think about post war america cuz you have these americans coming in that uh, they want to buy the cemetery to build a hotel and just move the bodies out of the way, and yet wherever they go, death follows, but never seems to affect them. It's <laughs> it's it's pretty fucking scathing <laughs> uh, towards Americans, uh, but it's great. Um, and the only thing I really didn't like about it is I feel the ending is a little pat and doesn't really fit with kind of the the biting tone of the rest of the movie. But, you know, at a breezy 84 minutes, I, I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, I thought it was an interesting film uh, and and definitely one worth uh, checking out if you have Criterion Channel. Uh, and you should have Criterion Channel. Just get it. <laughs> if yeah. there's so many good movies on there, just get it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the machine that kills bad people. Nice. All right. Uh, If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next time.